0: Welcome to the Backyard Astronomer Podcast, where we talk astronomy, space, and science. From the Rockstar Studios, and brought to you by the Rockstar Group and Manzanita Insurance, I am Adam England, the Backyard Astronomer. Robert, it's good to have you here.
1: Good, good to have you. Actually,
0: actually, I guess we're not having you, you're having us. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. So I really Welcome appreciate your time. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. This yeah. is absolutely amazing. I... I wanted to start with, we're we're the Backyard Astronomer podcast. So not just astronomy, but everything space and science and technology. Where did you get your passion for space?
1: Well, you know, like many, you know, young boys growing up in America, I wanted to be an astronaut. Watching space space shuttle missions. Yeah, exactly. grew up in that era, kind of the end of, you know, after the Apollo, beginning of the, the space shuttle era. And and, uh, you know, of course that's inspiring to, to a kid. But actually seeing a fireball come down on us 13 years old is what really set the hook for, you know, the, the, the path in life that I've chosen, uh, you know, chasing space rocks around the world.
0: And you're an Arizona boy. That happened here.
1: Yeah, yeah. That actually happened in Bullhead City. So the, the meteorite actually fell in California, and unfortunately, uh, not enough data to go off of back then to, to ever have a chance of recovering. So never it, recovered but, uh, that one. Out there somewhere is the rock I saw fall out of the sky when I was 13.
0: And how did that guide your decisions in education, and then from there into career path?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, as far as education, there's not really a planetary science course that you can take. It's uh, planetary sciences is kind of a hodgepodge of scientists from other fields that uh, like me have an interest for it i'm one of a couple people full time that do not have phds that that uh, you know are, are are you know work in planetary science so it's like a
0: chef if somebody likes your food you're a chef yeah it, i guess so and you're kind of doing it you're yeah. you're
1: creating your own you're you're making
0: it happen yeah yeah
1: i've you know kind of uh showed, to blazed my own trail in, the, in this particular corner of science, and uh, you know that, that path has taken me to every corner of the planet. I've hunted meteorites in every continent except Antarctica. I've recovered over 550 different meteorites around the world, and I think Santa Filomena, Brazil, my last recovery about a year ago was my 25th witness fall, I believe. The differentiation between you know having found 550 meteorites, well, those are just meteorites that fell hundreds or thousands of years ago, and they're laying in the deserts in the Middle East or Africa or out here in the American Southwest, and I just go out and find it. And uh, we don't know exactly when it fell, but, you know, we, we have it classified. Uh, scientists, one scientist or another around the world will classify it for me, and it gets an official number, and that's considered a find. Kind of the bread and butter of what I do is witness falls, where you actually see a meteorite fall out of the sky. You get there to recover it as quickly as possible. While it's still pristine, you get it into the applicable lab that does that kind of research in that particular Or before
0: somebody else gets their grubby hands on it. Yeah,
1: or before it, you know, goes down a road that we don't want to see it go down and it doesn't reach science. So it's very important to get there as quickly as possible and preserve the samples. Uh, Anytime they're rained on, you know, you start to have uh, aqueous alteration and things that we don't want to happen uh, to the samples. And, you know, preservation is one of my number one goals. Science is certainly top of the goals, uh, you know, for what for what I do is getting pieces to science, getting them in the lab, analyzed. Because uh, you never know what's going to come down next. Uh, the very next one might be the Rosetta Stone of meteorites. It might explain a process in the early solar system or formation of the Earth that we've never seen before.
0: Something we're not even aware of. Yeah, it could
1: be something from another solar system, It could, which we've never seen. It could be a piece of the early Earth which we don't think we've seen, uh, you know, back when uh, Thea collided with the proto-Earth and created modern-day Earth and the Moon and all that process. undoubtedly. Which is, like you're
0: saying, still hypothetical because no, we don't have any physical evidence Yeah, of it.
1: And, and, and the material's floating around out there. If it happened, the material's out there. So it's just, you never know what that next one's going to bring. its I often tell people it's an assayer's guide to the solar system. As we take these first steps out amongst the stars, like... What I'm doing right now may not be as relevant as it will be to those future generations. Stepping out amongst the stars, exploring these asteroids for raw materials. Because basically all the raw materials in the solar system, a good percentage of it is represented in this room. I mean, we have material here from uh, the moon, Mars, different parts of the moon that were never mapped. We have material from Mars, which, you know, we, we have... Labs on Mars, but we've yet to bring material back. But we can actually say, okay, well, this type of sugarite on Martian surface that the the uh, rovers exploring is identical to the sugarite in our collections. Yeah, we have main group asteroid materials, the common chondrites, the irons, uh, the palisites. Uh, We have material from asteroid Vesta sitting here. So you have, you know, you already have samples from all over the solar system. So essentially, the major collections, such as this one, are the, uh, you know, the uh, assayers guide to the solar system.
0: Well, now you've got the Curiosity rover is boring samples and storing them to be picked up on later missions and returned back to Earth. Yeah. But you're involved in a recovery return project right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're coming to us all the time. I mean, they're basically miniature space probes that are orbiting our sun all the time. And when they end up on an Earth crossing uh, path and it happens to land on land, uh, you know, instead of in the ocean... Uh, got a good good shot at at uh, tracking it down, and you know a big part of that's the internet. When I first started, we did everything by hand. It was average recovery for a fireball, uh, you know, for actually finding a meteorite from from a fireball event was twenty eight days of triangulation before you ever actually went out and hunted for the stone. Um, a few years ago, there was an event here in Arizona that was actually witnessed by uh, some friends of mine. They called me early morning hours and told me, and I started getting on line and looking at our American Meteor Society website and saw the reports and before, um, you know, our guys on the east coast of AMS even had a time to put, uh, approve the reports and have them consolidated into a map, I was manually punching in the data, had a solution, the general area came down, I'm looking at the Doppler radar, and uh, 16 hours later, I was holding a piece of that meteorite in wow. my hand. That was a, a new record for a purposeful <laughs> recovery, and it's still the record to this day. Now, what was your first recovery? My first recovery? Uh, My my first collection piece recovery that's actually in the room was uh, at Franconia, Arizona, down by Havasu. Here in Arizona? Here in Arizona. And there were pieces uh, found from this event that had been classified uh, at one of the institutions here. and, And I learned the location, so I went down there, you know, trying to find more information and, uh, spoke with some, some locals who I became very good friends with. And, uh, they gave me permission to hunt their property and, and, uh, walked out there right as the sun was setting and walked up on about a five pound thumb printed, beautiful Franconia and, It was one of the greatest moments of my life, you know. If I' looking at this, this you know beautiful museum quality, just exhilarating. Sitting there on the desert floor, it was like perched out on this bench of sandstone, like presented. It was it was it was really surreal, and yeah, I thought, well, I'm going to have a truckload of them shortly. And I hunted there two years, uh, three or four days a week for two years, off and on when I wasn't doing other meteorite events, and. I never did find a stone as good or as big as that one.
0: Ramen and cowboy it coffee, and, and you survived, but
1: <laughs> it was it was quite the experience. Now uh, some
0: of them will will come out looking like this one here. That's got it's it's burned up from the atmosphere. You have other yeah. ones that look completely untouched, almost.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, all meteorites when when they hit the ground, they're going to have a uh, a fusion crust. So basically, most uh, meteors and meteoroids enter the atmosphere at about. Anywhere from twenty-two to thirty-one thousand miles an hour, you start reaching levels where there's no no survivability, no matter how big it is. And those so, are the
0: ones that generally burst into fireballs or uh, yeah, like Chelyabinsk events. Yeah yeah. Well,
1: yeah, yeah, Chely Chelyabinx was you know kind of reaching that upper upper end of the size, but it actually came in in a in a uh, uh, prograde orbit, so it was catching up with Earth. A lot of times they hit head on, you know, it's, it's, it's
0: like a car accident. Yeah. It's like a car accident. Yeah. So uh,
1: anytime they, you know, they come in prograde opposed to retrograde there's a lot more survivability. So a lot depends on the orbit and what type of material it's made out of. It's cometary or something. It's nothing's going to reach the ground. Uh, but you know, most, most meteorites about 80% of what falls is what we call common chondrites. So you have your H chondrites, your L chondrites. We have a nice representation here of a, a chondrite that fell in, in the big or, one here yeah in north africa uh, a couple of years ago uh you know you have your iron meteorites like this one this is this is another you know kind of main group asteroids the core of a planetary body that didn't make it some minor planet tons of them out there floating around they almost actually, solid iron uh, well, no, just the core. Uh, but yeah, you'll typically when the minor planets destroyed, you're going to have your, you know, the 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 stony portions are probably separated from the, the heaviest the, the nickel iron core. Yeah, the iron nickel core. So, uh, you know, see, so but you have bits of both. And the palisites. Um, contemporary thinking is that the palisites were formed where the iron nickel core uh, met the rocky outside of the parent the, the planetary body and. And the silicates kind of leached into the, the, the iron-rich core, and that's what created the pelicites, the ones you see here with the, the beautiful olivine crystals. Um, you know, they're visually the, the most extraordinary of all the meteorites, very popular, uh, just because of their appearance. So those are your common, common, you know, your more common meteorites. Then you have things like this one that's from the asteroid Vesta, Which Which we just uh, spent a
0: long, the last few years studying. Yeah, yeah. we
1: actually had had a spacecraft orbiting uh, VESTA, so we have a lot of spectral data. We know where some of this material comes from now, where it's ejected from on the surface. A lot of data from VESTA. We have a lot of meteorites in our collection from VESTA. But it's pretty much out of the things you can point to in the night sky and say this meteorite came from there. You have VESTA, and then you have, of course, the moon. Uh, Everybody can look up and see the moon and the night sky. So that's one of the most identifiable of the planetary bodies. And then this is a, a Martian meteorite. And it's a very extraordinary Martian meteorite. That's called a Lurjalite. So it's, it's actually made out of common materials, but in a very uncommon uh, solidification, the way it cooled. It was a deep magmatic flow beneath the surface of Mars. We have Lurjalites on Earth, too, but uh, chemically different. But, um, you know, we, we didn't realize that... Uh, that impacts great astrobleem forming impacts in ancient times on Mars could uh, excavate to the depth of where the lergolites are formed until we found one here on Earth. Now how deep and
0: are we talking? You're saying it's a similar process to on Earth, like the lava tubes in Flagstaff. Yeah. You're talking much deeper than that.
1: Much much deeper. Okay. Yeah, this is this forms far down in Earth's surface and you know much uh, very deep in, in Mars surface as well. But obviously, so a very large some, body had to impact. Yeah, there's been some gigantic impacts on on mars and uh you know early days of its uh, uh formation and and that's how this ended up on an earth and so that was
0: probably orbiting for billions
1: of years before oh absolutely landing on earth. yeah it's it's been out there orbiting the sun for a long long time and that's what's cool i mean we we don't know next week might be a discovery of a meteorite from mercury or venus and there was a time when we thought having martian meteorites on earth was impossible because of the you know the escape velocity of the ejecta calculations were say that wasn't possible, but here I'm holding a Mars rock in my and the hand, moon's so. much closer, so, so
0: the probability of us having a piece of the moon is probably much higher. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. You know, I mean, statistically, moon rock should be one of the most common meteorites on the planet. Yet, uh, you know, I did, I hunted in the Middle East for six years, uh, ten expeditions uh, that I spent over a month over there, and I found a total of four lunar meteorites in all those expeditions. So, what you actually find on the ground is extraordinarily rare, uh, but. Numbers-wise, they should be abundant on Earth. I think a lot of it's just the inability to recognize it. Like here in Arizona, you look at the other side of this, this regolith, lunar regolith
0: i've stepped on a thousand hiking and hunting
1: exactly arizona basalt very similar so Mm -hmm. a lot of it's just the inability to recognize it uh against the background of terrestrial materials that are very similar
0: has that gotten easier with the return of sample missions from the moon that when the the apollo astronauts brought stuff back that we could actually measure and see those compositions
1: yeah well at that point we were you know we were able to to Confirmed the very first lunar found on Earth, Calcalong Creek, from Australia. We were able to identify, yes, this is indeed a lunar regolith rich. yeah. And, uh, you know, since then, we've been able to actually pair many lunar samples with Apollo samples. Like, we, we know what region of the moon it came from by studying them. You know,
0: the same mare samples. This came from yeah. the same...
1: Yeah, we can see, okay, no, there's a handful of them. But, uh, you know, they're, they're samples from all over the moon, dark side of the moon and and, uh, and all over that we haven't been to and we haven't sampled so i think i think you know examining lunar meteorites is important uh because that is our first step as we step out amongst the stars and uh that's where we're going to be getting you know water and raw materials from to to to, you know take the the steps further colonizing you know mars or or,
0: you know yeah whether it's whether it's water ice in the uh (laughs) the bottom of a crater yeah on the moon that doesn't see much light or helium-3. We've got other things that we're talking about. And now they're talking about mining asteroids. Yeah. And we've landed on an asteroid and we're returning a chunk of it. Yeah. How were you involved in that?
1: Yeah. Well, the OSIRIS-REx project actually uh, recovered a meteorite in 2012 called the Sutter's Mill meteorite. And uh, I think it was three days after it fell, I went out to uh, Lotus Park right across the street from Sutter's Mill Park where James Marshall found the first gold nugget that started the California gold rush and changed the Mystery, history of America forever, uh literally could throw a rock and hit the mil, the mill head there at the Sutter's Mill site. So two major the first events in, yeah. in Earth and history I here. Found this meteorite that turned out to be a very rare type of meteorite called a carbonaceous chondrite, and I got the samples into the lab at U of A, and uh, they were just beginning stages of developing the hardware for the Cyrus Rex mission, and and. Uh, they wanted to use this meteorite that was very similar, they thought was very similar to the surface of the target asteroid Bennu, and could inj- indeed be an injection paired from Bennu, to calibrate the spacecraft payload, so I, you know, I was able to become a, a part of the sars REX mission through that, that contribution, and donate, you donate material to them, and, and uh, you know now the, the, I got to go to Kennedy and watch the, the, the launch of the the mission which is and, an event
0: in in and of itself. Oh,
1: that was amazing. That was quite quite a quite a thing to see the the Atlas rocket launch the, the payload uh, then of course remotely watch the landing on the asteroid, the sample of several kilos of material. I mean, there's so much material that's coming out, which was like our dream come true. And then now the uh, the mission's on its way home. The sample return capsule will be landing in the Dugway Proving Grounds in Utah in 2023, and we'll be there watching it.
0: And then you'll actually be able to compare hands-on yeah. with it, the samples that you have exactly. with what they have.
1: And then we'll know if Sutter's mills paired, uh, ejection paired. From wow. So it's, it was an amazing opportunity to be a part of real-world science, have, you know, contribute in my own little way and, and to be a part of a mission from beginning to end it's just absolutely amazing and you do that with a lot of your samples you're, yeah. you're no, heavily involved need... with with space science whether
0: it's at the university level at nasa sure. all sorts of programs Yeah,
1: i'm a volunteer field researcher chicago field museum uh, so i work a lot with with them u of a asu uh, university of new mexico I was just having uh, dinner with one of their scientists uh, last week so you know, we, were, we were talking rocks and and all the, the latest, greatest discoveries. So it's, it's exciting. I mean, we're, we're learning so much about the solar system all the time, and every rock's expanding that knowledge. And every once in a while, we hit a whole, real home run like we did with Sutter's Mill, where it just knocks it out of the park something totally new, totally extraordinary, broadens our knowledge of science. I mean, it had amino acids in it, and sugars that were so primitive, we didn't have a way to analyze them.
0: These are building blocks so of life. Building blocks
1: of life inside a rock from outer space. So to be able to go out and pick that up, man, it's a, that's the ultimate adventure in my opinion.
0: Now you said you picked up rocks on every continent except for Antarctica.
1: Yeah. That's the scientist playground. Yeah, they, they all go to... It's probably the easiest to, vi- to
0: visually see and discover yeah. them because yeah. they're just laying on top of the white. Yeah. Now, you've had others uh, in Michigan. Was a similar setup?
1: Yeah, up. in Michigan, that was uh, hunting on, on a frozen lake bed. I found the first piece of a fireball that had occurred a couple of days prior, so that was a And ones in the Middle East that unique. are just laying in sand? Yeah. 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 I worked over in the Middle East for a lot of years, made a lot of recoveries over there, found some amazing meteorites, and some great adventures there and
0: yeah some of that not just discovering cool rocks but you're discovering cultural differences
1: yeah i I ran into a cultural difference over there one time (laughs) (laughs) to put it lightly (laughs) yeah i was actually uh captured by military patrol and accused of spying so that was that was my last expedition to oman so
0: did they let you keep your samples
1: no thing was confiscated and i was stuck in an eight by eight foot hole in the ground for a couple months and interrogated over a few days and but it was, all worked out you're home i'm home yeah oh. i made it and i'm uh, still doing it but you know now how many it's, countries something i want to you... go through again <laughs> <laughs> it became quite the international incident
0: <laughs> how many countries have you visited
1: oh man um i've kind of lost track I remember at one thing. point it was 34 or something, but I, I know I'm probably up into the 50s now. So. Um, I, I, yeah, it's been... Um, uh, f- made personal recoveries on every continent, like I said, every continent except Antarctica. And, uh, you know, North America's kind of a unique situation. We have one of the hot deserts, and we should have more meteorites here than we do in basically the breadbasket of meteorites, which is North Africa, Northwest Africa. But unfortunately, you know, our numbers are, uh, you know, insignificant compared to what they're bringing out over there. Because every goat herder, every everybody that's out herding camels or whatever, they're all meteorite hunters. They know what to look for. They know they're worth money. They're coming in here, you know. Very speculative se- now. Yeah, seldom is there somebody out, looking or out walking around the mountains looking for meteorites. We do. Our team. But he,
0: people here, even in Prescott, Arizona... We recently had an event, a, recent, a year and a yeah. half ago. Yeah. How, how can people be a citizen scientist here?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, they're out there. And just keeping your eyes open, going, looking, you know, read it, reading the, the materials out there, and especially on the internet, looking at photos and educating yourself on what to look for. Arizona is one of the best places. It's also one of the toughest places because, like, every day I get pictures of magnetite, hematite, uh, railroad materials you know like meteor wrongs, as we affectionately call them, uh, like that, that are not meteorites, but they look you know they 're confusing the public, so educating yourself what to look for and and uh you know they're yeah people that make and uh, make new discoveries that contribute to science all the time, and you can do it right here in your own backyard in Arizona, but we should have an abundance of meteorites, but it's you know like People not going out there and looking is, is a big part of the problem, is not knowing what to look for. And we just don't, don't have the, the amount of people out uh, roaming the deserts like they do in other parts of the world where you have Bedouins and Berbers that are still nomadic, and they're picking them up right and left. But, it's just the nature of
0: our society exactly. has prevented that here.
1: It's, that's entirely it. And you know, recently, about a year and a half ago, we had a big fireball over Arizona It Woke 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 us up knocked us out of bed i got it on my doorbell Did camera you? Yeah. okay yeah, i heard a you know gigantic boom and uh uh absolutely extraordinary event you know, i have two career goals left find a martian meteorite uh, which amazingly I, I have not done yet with all the hot deserts i've hunted it's very elusive to find a you know martian meteorites are pretty rare but one of these days i'll do that and my second is to actually witness a fireball event and recover a piece of the meteorite from that said event. So uh, I thought that was going to be it. And I pl- still plan backyard. on that being it because it's out there. We recently analyzed the video from my All Sky 7 camera here in Granite Dills. And, and uh, the, the fireball broke up into 19 or 20 large pieces, which would be about the size of your fist. So, uh, you know, a pound or two in the, the small end. And, and uh, did they keep burning from there? Or yeah, is that yeah, about we, what we, would land? We watched them, you know, in the video, you could see going frame by frame towards the end. It's 19 pieces, 19 or 20 pieces reduced down to 12 and then to eight, six, four, three, and then like the last couple just flickered out. So we know there's some larger pieces. Uh, there's probably a string field six or eight miles long out there. And there should be hundreds of pieces, but we know there, there are a number of pieces that are definitely big enough to find. And, you know, that's... 30, 40 miles west of town here, so or maybe even, you know, twenty five miles west of town. This time of year you have
0: deer and elk hunters yeah, out there and absolutely. campers and
1: everybody's woodcutters. I mean there's a lot of people, it's getting cool. People are out and you know, you might trip across a black rock that has a fresh fusion looks crust. Looks like this on the back, but Yeah, yeah. You have the black fusion crust on the outside, the burnt fusion crust from entering the atmosphere at twenty two or twenty six thousand miles an hour. And then if it's broken on the inside, do not break it. But <laughs> if it's broken, you will see the uh, the stony interior of a, of a typical chondrite. You know, you'll have the, typically it's uh, light gray, look, looks almost like broken concrete. There'll be nickel iron flakes, iron nickel flakes inside it. A magnet almost likely be attracted to it. Um, you know, but it could be iron. Uh, there's a small percentage of witness and that are iron meteorites. Extraordinarily rare, but they happen. Uh, palisites uh, could be an achondrite. Could have shiny crust and no metallic attraction whatsoever. But the smooth outside, what we call thumbprints, these little depressions—that's you know your your sign that it you know is highly highly likely chance that it is a meteorite. And typically, the the interior is going to be lighter have a lighter matrix on the inside so i think no, you could be out there and kind of this know, iron type these.
0: is what a lot of people are familiar with seeing yeah when you go to meteor crater yeah you've got a large chunk like that yeah this but is people like aren't a, used to these other types of meteorites yeah
1: this irons are easily identifiable When people think of irons as you know typically um, this is what they envision but it's it's actually about six percent of what falls out of this interesting sky. i've yet to actually hunt a witness fall iron that's fallen during my time in meteoritics. So I've hunted some historical stuff, but they're so rare. We've yet, they, I've had iron falls. We recently had one in Sweden and, you know, I've wanted to go, but with everything going on, you travel, international travel has been greatly limited. So um, it's a very rare thing, but, you know, uh, maybe the Prescott was an iron fall. We don't know. We don't
0: know. We won't Whoever know until we picks find up the it. first rock, we'll know. And it could be hundreds of years from now, we don't know.
1: <laughs> it could. I plan on it being uh yeah much sooner could, than that. much sooner. Any day now.
0: <laughs> now now you're married and your wife indulges your hobby. Absolutely. Your your business, your your lifestyle. Yeah. You guys go hunting together?
1: Oh, absolutely. When when the Prescott event happened, you know, we were out there hunting with the kids and, you know, hoping to stumble across that first stone and the whole the whole, woke, family. The whole family up and became a family event and it still is today. We're still heading out and you know, doing outings out there. It's, uh, you know, west of the Las Vegas ranch. Somewhere out in those mountains, there's fresh meteorites. So we're just hoping one of these days we'll walk across one of those rocks. And, and uh, we'll have the, the newest Arizona witness fall. There's um, right now, I think, five witness falls in Arizona. And I've been directly involved in the recovery. Four of them are one of our team members uh, recovered one down in Sierra Vista. Um, the whetstone mountain fall, he found the first piece of that. And uh, we, we mapped that, and it was probably the most well-mapped Stringfield in history. So we recently celebrated the, the uh, you know, that, that event and um, the monograph we created from it, documenting it and the science behind it. So it was really a textbook recovery. And, and you know, looking at what Arizona has to offer, most recently, uh, uh, one of my, my hunting partners and I were just out nugget shooting out in the desert, and, and uh, trying to find my first gold nugget detecting, because ironically, thousands of miles I've walked in Australia North America, I've never found a, found a, gold, a, nugget. a gold nugget detecting. Found him panning, never detecting. And, and um, we, were, we were just walking around outside camp, and, and I hear him yell and walks over, and he drops this. I'm thinking he has a big gold nugget in his hand, and he drops this iron meteorite in my hand. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So we get back to the truck, clean it up. I just looked at him with shock in my eye. I go, uh, Todd, you won't believe what this is. And he says, what? And I said, this has been cubanite. He's like, what's that? And I said, exactly. And I said, it's so <laughs> rare. Most meteorite, i have been looking know what Ben Covenite is. But this was indeed the second ben ever. Ben CBA Ben Covenite ever discovered in North America, and it was the eighth in the world. And we've yet to find a North American lunar. That's like been the holy grail of all the cold yeah. hunters out looking deserts in Nevada and Arizona and Utah. Everybody wants to find the lunar. I said, you could find 20. I told him, you could find 20 North American lunars before you'd find a Ben Covenite. You could probably find 50. It's the ultra-rarest of the rare and scientifically valuable meteorite. And we found one out just hanging out one day. Not even looking yeah. for it. Wow. <laughs> exactly. And that was recently. So, you know, it, it, the scientists are going crazy over that one. Amazing discovery. And it was just a couple guys hanging out. I mean, it was, it was remarkable to be there when such an extraordinary discovery happened right in my backyard. Yeah. I've hunted for Ben Covenites in, in the Middle East. I've hunted for them on the East Coast. I've always wanted to find them in Covenite. I didn't think it'd and be hanging it out with my buddy in Arizona. <laughs> Looking for gold. It was, it was a real blessing. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> now, you're a member of the American
0: Meteorological Society, Meteorite Society? American Meteor Society. Now, what kind of uh, science education do you guys do with that?
1: Well, AMS is focused on one of our, our primary goals in the field is to deploy a worldwide network of cameras, which we're well on our way to doing. Which you hinted at. Mike Hankey. Yes. Um, so, you know, we have, we have quite a few in Europe. I know Germany, UK, uh, we have a number, number of cameras in Europe. Um, Sweden, I believe, uh, captured an actual, the Ironfall I was referring to earlier, just last night, some of our cameras up in the Pacific Northwest captured uh, that Starlink satellite re-entering, so we have HD video of it all the way across the sky, wow. which is really cool. Precise triangulation of the ground path, things like that. Yeah, Amazing so you're technology. using
0: multiple yeah. cameras yeah. Yeah. to pinpoint what its location exactly. was it as it travels. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's, uh, it, um, the software actually auto-triangulates uh, the event if it's captured on, on multiple cameras, and... You wake up in the morning. You walk downstairs with a cup of coffee, and you can see all the nights' fireballs, meteors, fireballs, whatnot. They're auto captured. If there's more than one station, it can auto train It's it's really an amazing system. So, can I it's, just get one a, for my house? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a ground changing, uh, you know, game changing uh, system. So, really changes our ground game and the essence of what used to take. Uh, like I said, 28 days on average to do we can do in 28 minutes. Have a game game plan and be out in the field.
0: And you're linking these together almost like home weather stations to yeah, accurately track this. Exactly,
1: it's it's plug and play. Uh, Mike Henke's done an amazing job developing the system, and now we're looking at you know uh, there's there's different organizations that want to use it for there be for you know uh, weather, Forest Service, uh, fire mitigation, uh, you know, uh, or possible satellite to, reentry. Yeah, yeah, space junk reentries. Uh, you know. Meteorites is my bread and butter, but there's so many organizations out there that have their own, you know, migratory bird, uh, uh, you know, uh, patterns and things like that. There's a myriad of applications uh, that, that this, can, this system can be used for. So our ultimate plan is to have uh, pretty much nationwide coverage, uh, you know, basically just have to have power and Internet. And we're actually working on a, on a system that will be um, that work independently off the grid. So once that happens, then we can, you know, get further into Pacific Northwest. And, but we've got systems all over South America right now. Um, uh, you know, and I'm wrapping up the, uh, North Northern Arizona. We have three systems ready to go up here. And, and is that enough?
0: For for the coverage of Northern Arizona, or do you need more?
1: Well, we, we have a lot of cameras in our network down in Southern Arizona and Phoenix. I think there's several in Phoenix, and but it's good to have backup because you know you, you you want you want multiple angles, and if, if you know you have some system error, Or data points. Yeah, you want to have the redundancy of having multiple cameras. So no, we encourage anybody that's, that has an interest to to uh, look into getting an all sky uh, how can they do that seven master cam station. Uh, you can go to American Meteor Society, and the information's on there to, you know, uh, about the, the All-Sky 7 system. And, uh, you know, you can get your order in to have your very own meteor observation station. Citizen Answer science
0: <laughs> in, in real life.
1: Yeah, it's real deed in, in citizen science. Wow.
0: That's really, really neat. This is amazing.
1: <laughs> this, this is
0: absolutely amazing. And you've even got a, a cosmonaut suit over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, wow. it's a
1: so-called KV2 pressure suit. So,
0: so it's it's taking so, you all so over bad. the world, giving you amazing opportunities?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been an amazing adventure. Um, you know, you've, you get to see uh, cultures that normally you would never see and so far off the beaten path that nobody would ever think to go there. So I've, I've encountered some pretty amazing things. I've been, you know, up in... Uh, ancient ruins in the Andes that probably never been explored, uh, you know, by by anybody that really cares to, to be there. And, you know, it's it's amazing. There's things you run into uh, cultures in Africa that, you know, you've never probably ever seen a tourist. Uh, I seem to be quite the fascination when he showed up. So uh, they love the space cowboy. Yeah, the sp- <laughs> indeed. Yeah. So, you know, an office tell people, uh, you spin the globe and put your finger down. If there's not water there, I might be there in 48 hours. So. keep bags packed for every environment because you never know and passport at hand yeah indeed indeed and getting it into the lab quickly uh you know it's important so you you need to get there uh and you know the scientists don't really have the uh, the time nor the funding to get there and there's a lot of red tape involved in a in a somebody representing a university or institution going out and doing this sort of thing so um so i'm kind of the go-to guy for getting this kind of stuff done in the
0: scientific world just like we're seeing with the privatization of the space industry in general exactly it's more efficient it
1: really is wow
0: now you know i got married five years ago and my Mm -hmm. wife gave me a meteorite wedding ring (laughs) so i i was curious what you think this one might be or if is this even one of your
1: meteorites it could be. It's either Gibeon or Monio Lusta. Uh, I actually have a meteorite wedding ring, too. So <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, the uh, Mine's Gibeon. Uh, if that is Mona Lusta, yeah, I very well could have found it. We have a 500-pound Monio sitting behind us here. It's the largest meteorite recovery I've ever made. And it took us two days to dig down to it and excavate it out of the ground. And We had about a 14-foot hole, and we got down uh, to, to pull it out. And jewelers
0: and it, are just champing at the bit to to get a hold of this
1: yeah 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 and then you know I, there was a certain amount of the material after it was cut up and prepped for universities and whatnot we ended up with some odd pieces that we sold to people in the jewelry industry which i normally don't do but you know there's many 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 tons of this one and these pieces weren't really acceptable for display so yeah it very well could have been one of the pieces and not as rare as some of the
0: other pieces that yeah, you wouldn't no, do that no, with Tons you're not and doing and that with the lunar or the Mars. Oh,
1: absolutely not. Yeah. A lot of people do, but I certainly won't. <laughs> well, <laughs> Preservation and you know, curation for future generations is one of my primary goals.
0: I, I really appreciate your time and what you're doing for, for the advancement of citizen science. This is just absolutely amazing and it's been a pleasure speaking with you and having you here.
1: Likewise. How Thanks else can
0: people me. help support your organization, your causes? You mentioned the American Meteor Society and the All Sky 7 camera. What else can can people do to support you or find you?
1: Yeah. Well, I think you know, if if you're if you you've done your research and you think you've you found a meteorite, you know, you are welcome to reach out to my website's robertwardmeteorites.com uh, Robert Ward, meteorites.com, uh know just send me a photo you don't have to ask just uh but you know do your research look at what meteorites look like and you know that not does a magnet stick to it's one of the common ones but there's a lot of rare meteorites that the meteorite you know the magnet does not stick to so yeah do your research and you know if it passes the 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 tests and uh you know send me a photo and i'm happy to help people out uh, identifying if their rock is indeed a meteorite especially if it's from uh, about 30 miles west of here (laughs) (laughs) And that's at Meteorites.com? Yes. Perfect.
0: Robert, thank you so much for having us in your home. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. In your museum. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You don't have to be a professional astronomer or have fancy equipment to see amazing objects in the night sky. You just have to know where to look. Join us next month to learn more about your binoculars, telescope in the sky, and follow the Northern Arizona Astronomical Consortium at facebook.com slash NEZastro. From the Rockstar Studios in Prescott, Arizona, I'm Adam England, the Backyard Astronomer.